Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read from two places out of the chapter. The first being verse 10 down through verse 17. And then I'm going to read verses 34 and 35. Now, brothers and sisters, out of respect and adoration for the Lord and His Word, would you stand with me and hear now the Word of the living God? And the disciples came to Him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and the ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their, with their hearts in return. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Now verses 34 and 35. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And may the Lord add his blessing to his own word. Now, brothers and sisters, we begin this study this morning on the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are some things that we need to understand and know ourselves before we can come and make sense of the parables themselves. As we read, the parables are not easy to understand. The disciples had, after hearing Jesus beginning to speak in parables, they came to Him and asked Him what He meant by the parables. So they're not easy to understand. And Jesus began to uh, explain to them why He was speaking in parables and the whole purpose of Him speaking in parables, which I'm going to touch on in a minute. It's been said that the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ are the most interesting and exciting of all the teaching of the Gospels. That the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ are the most interesting. People are fascinated by the parables. They're interested in the parables. And there have been a ton of 
of interpretations pertaining to the parables themselves that have launched into all kinds of wackiness. And we need to keep that in mind. You should know, particularly if you are of any age, that many people have taken the Bible and made it sing a tune that it does not play. You can take the Bible as it is and almost make it say anything if you take some things out and add some things and make it, you know, make it be what you want it to be. And we need to avoid those things. And so we need to handle the parables with some rules and that would help us bring understanding to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me give you this morning as we... As I begin to, as I begin to study, I'm going to give you some principles. I'm going to give you some, some things to be careful of and some things to be uh, in expectation of. Some things to avoid and some things to look forward to. That's what we're going to focus on in the parables. We're not going to technically get into any one parable this morning, but to just lay the foundation so that when you read your Bible, you can read it with profit. You can read it with understanding. Now, brothers and sisters, what use is it if you go to the Bible and pick it up and read it and you don't understand what you read? And that's what teachers are for. That's why the Lord gifted the church with teachers so that God's people would clear up any ignorance that we might all possess. Well, let's think about the parable itself. What is a parable? Well, I think it's easier to understand what a parable is when you look at it in light of other short stories or proverbs or illustrations or comparisons or similes and yet then understand that a parable is not any singular is not singularly any of those things it is an illustration it does illustrate it does make comparisons but it's not a simile it's not simply a comparison it's not simply a proverb let me give you an example of what i'm talking about that is the parables themselves are not illustrations For example, Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus closes this sermon by speaking of two foundations one can build on. And He says this, He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared, see we have a comparison here, to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, yet it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Now we get the picture. The man who hears Jesus' teaching and he builds his life on the teaching of Jesus Christ, the correct teaching of Jesus Christ, he is just like someone who built a strong house on a good foundation. That's a comparison. He's illustrating something for us. That's not a parable. It's an illustration. And of course, the comparison is the man that builds his house on the rock because he listens to the words of Jesus. He takes, she or he takes what Jesus says seriously and applies it to their lives as compared to one who does not do that. 
What happens when the challenges of life come, the hardships come, the trials come, the difficulties come? It slams into the house and it falls apart. It goes to pieces because that person's life is not rested and founded upon the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's an illustration. The one, whether you receive the teachings of Jesus or whether you reject the teachings of Jesus, you can compare yourself to these two foundations. This is not a parable. Parables are not proverbs. What are proverbs? You go and read the proverbs and you see there are some longer proverbs, but typically proverbs are very short. Remember a, a, a uh, definition I used years ago when we were going through the Proverbs, I said a proverb is like hard rock candy, said one theologian. You know what hard rock candy is? You put it in your mouth and you can suck on it and you savor it for a long time. Proverb is like that. It's short, it's small, you put it in your mind and you, you just turn it over and turn it over and turn it over in your heart and mind and you think about it. And you think about how, to, how it applies to you. It's not a parable. You know, a, a proverb be like the blind leading the blind. What happens if the blind leads the blind? Both of them end up falling into what? The pit. And of course, the blind leading the blind is an illustration of any who's already adapted and, and, and applied all this error of the world into their own lives, what do they do when they give counsel to others? The blind person is trying to lead other blind people who don't know any better. And what happens to both of them? They both are destroyed. Because their lives are not built upon truth in the rock of Jesus' teachings. So a proverb is, I mean, a parable is not a proverb. A parable is not an allegory. Jesus does use allegory when He teaches. In John chapter 15, Jesus, in warning His disciples to understand what He was saying about Himself, said, I am the vine. That's an allegory. Jesus takes human characteristics and applies them to inanimate objects so that we might think about it more deeply than we typically would. Jesus could have easily said, I am the Savior. But instead He goes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And we automatically know what branches are connected to. The vine. And Jesus is saying, you need to be connected with me. And then goes on to teach us in John 15 what that connection and communion and intimacy looks like. Okay? That's an allegory. A parable is not an allegory. A parable is deeper than all of these things. It will illustrate, but it's going to go further than that. It will bring an allegory to your mind, but it's going to go beyond that. A parable requires greater intensity in thought. It requires the person to bring all that they are to this lesson and to consider it on the deepest level of their being because all's at stake. All's at stake. All of the parables are related to and have connection with the kingdom of God. 
All parables are related to and have connection with the kingdom of God. Here's what I mean by that. All the parables can be classified or categorized in at least three categories. And some have added more, but this is a classical understanding of the groups of the group of parables that our Lord taught during His time on earth, all relating to the kingdom of God. Number one, we're to learn the nature. The nature of the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God like? What's the nature of the kingdom of God? What is it? Number two, what's the relationship with this kingdom of God and earth? Human interaction, the reality that we all live in every day, this interaction and, and relationships. How does the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, both those are synonymous terms, how does that relate to this world? And then a third classification is that the kingdom of God has a specific and certain future to it. And you will see when we get there that all these parables that relate to this future aspect of the kingdom of God. Meaning simply, brothers and sisters, you're going somewhere. We're all in a movement. We're all flowing and going somewhere. Listen, the reality is this. We are either upon this path and highway of righteousness by the blood of Christ or we're on the path of hell and destruction that the world calls liberty, freedom, freedom of choice, freedom of thought. All just look, you add freedom to whatever it is you want, and the world says you can have every bit of this without Christ. You can have every bit of this without God's sovereignty. You can have every bit of this without the teaching of Scripture. Those are lies. Those are those are lies that people bring into their lives. And they build upon it and it leads to destruction. Same thing. Remember last week we talked about error and we said, look, there are two things. Look, Satan's kingdom is built on two pillars. Ignorance and error. Ignorance and error. Now, brothers and sisters, we are all ignorant about certain things. We don't have to be. Because guess what you can do with ignorance? Fix it. Error. What's error? Error is the application of ignorance. Error is the application of ignorance. Error is that which you bring into your life and you begin to build your life around it, your theology and your convictions. And guess what you build? You build nothing but error. And you become entrenched and committed to that error. Now it can be remedied. And our Lord remedies those things. And our Lord is a prophet. And He comes to bring light and teaching and instruction. He comes as our high priest to cleanse us of our ignorance and error and our guilt, right? He comes as a great King into our lives that He might slay these, the flesh that rises up against us, those, those rebellions and lusts that would fight against the Holy Spirit so that we would not do the things we would want to do. And yet, at the same time, we also have to understand, 
brothers and sisters, that when we come to this kingdom of God, we have to ask these basic questions. What is it? If I don't know what it is, how do I know I'm in it? If I don't know the nature of it, how do I know I'm even close to it? If I don't know what it looks like, what, how do I, what do I look for? Now, the parables all contain one central truth. When you go to a parable and you begin reading the parable, and I'm going to illustrate some of this in a moment. When you go to a parable, you want to identify one particular central truth of the parable. That's what it's going to, that's the lesson. And when you go to the parable and you try to make every saying be spiritual, you try to make every rock mean something, every tree limb mean something, when you try to make something out of the parable that it wasn't intended, that's when you get into trouble. Remember, it's not an allegory. Guess what the rocks are in the parable? Rocks. Unless Jesus states otherwise, they are simply rocks. But one thing that we're going to learn is that there is one central truth that the parable is emphasizing. And yes, there are subordinate truths. It's not like there's no other truth in it, but there's one particular lesson of the parable. And we need to keep that in mind when we look at the parables. And let's go ahead and begin to talk about what to avoid. What errors should we avoid when we come to the parables? Well, I've already mentioned one of them. And the first one is this. Don't make more out of the parable that's meant in the parable. Don't make more out of it. And here's what I mean by this. Look back at Matthew 13. Now let's look at verses 1 and 2. I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully show you something here that will help. Verse 1 and 2, it says, That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Now I'm going to stop there. Now here's the situation, here's the scene. Jesus gets up early in the morning, and we believe it to be early in the morning because he has an extensive amount of teaching that he teaches in, this, in these chapters. And to do this would take some time. And so Jesus goes out and he is beginning, he is beginning already in the morning to be bombarded by the crowds that are following him. So much so that Jesus has to get up in the boat. Now, when Jesus begins to speak to them in parables, he starts by the parable of the sower. Now, this is believed to be the very original parable Jesus began teaching not only the crowds, but the disciples. And if you look geographically where Jesus was when He was teaching in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, as He was ending His first year mission to the, to the, Gala, to the region of Galilee, the sea is accompanied with all of these fields. 
That is, the parable would be a picture of some truth that the people hearing it could identify locally that when Jesus was teaching them, they could look around and see the fields were ripe for harvest. Scholars believe that this is just a few weeks from the Passover. Toward the end of Jesus' first year. And it's toward the harvest. And he, So when Jesus begins to teach them the parable of the sower, He's pointing to and He's showing them what happened in these fields. How did these fields become fields of corn? How did they become fields of whatever it is? Crop? How did that crop get there? Now that's the question, isn't it? Somebody had to sow the field. And now he takes that reality and then he begins to teach a truth from that reality. So it's very, it's very contemporary. And what I mean by that is when Jesus teaches his parables, you know what he's saying? He goes, just look out the door. You see this field? Where did that corn come from? Somebody had to plant the corn. Somebody had to prepare the field. And that is something that everyone listening could identify with and go, well, that's right. It just didn't happen overnight. It just didn't spring up from the wild. This, this cultivated field just didn't spring up out of nowhere. Where did it come from? So that's the scene. That's the picture. That's why we say, don't make more out of it than what's intended. There's a primary truth that is being focused upon. Secondly, we want to avoid building systems of theology on any one parable. We want to avoid building a whole system of theology around a single parable. That's not what the parables are for. The parables are to move those who hear to hear. To move those who see, who perceive to greater insight and wisdom and love and passion for the kingdom of God. That's what the purpose of it. There's not to build systems of theology. It does teach theology, but it's to point, it's, it's for the hearer to grasp and perceive and to understand on a deeper, more intimate level so that they might love and serve God with greater zeal and passion. Now, thirdly, you want to listen to this one. An error that people make is coming with lazy ears to the parables. Lazy hearing of the gospel. Lazy hearing of the kingdom of God. And and, and, and that's that's the passage I read to you opening up the lesson this morning. He says, you know, I, 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 I teach in parables because... Here's what's going on. First of all, Jesus is very perceptive of the crowds listening to Him. Jesus understands and knows that everyone here is not interested in truth. Everyone here is not interested in becoming you know, holy and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. They're not interested in having their sins forgiven. They're not interested in having their conscience cleansed. They're not interested in having their paths straightened out. They're not interested in following the teachings of Jesus. They're only interested. He's novel. He's new. It's cool. It's hip. He's popular. And we get free food. You know, He feeds the 5,000. He feeds the 4,000. And, you know, I mean, we're... 
we're kind of out here hanging out with Jesus and it's the coolest thing ever. Jesus knows that their hearts are not with Him. And guess what? He didn't like it. It doesn't excite Him. Jesus doesn't say, look at all the crowds that I've gathered. No, He doesn't like it. He understands. See, Jesus understands that people that come with a lazy attitude to the Word of God, there's no hope for them. Brothers and sisters, there's no hope for the one that comes with lazy ears to the teaching of God's Word. You can't help them. You know why you can't help them? Well, look at what He says here in Isaiah. Look at verse 15. He says, For the heart of this people has become dull. Dull. Brothers and sisters, you can't teach a person with a dull heart. All they want is, what activities y'all do at church? What, do y'all, what kind of activities y'all have? What kind of retreats do y'all have? Really, or what kind of Bible studies do you have? What's he preaching on? How does he preach? You know, what do you focus on when you preach? I mean, how many times you pray? I mean, you know, tell me about the Word of God. Tell me about the Word ministry in the church. You don't hear that. What you hear about is how many functions do you have? How many retreats do you? What, what kind of activities can keep me busy? Not about the Word of God. That's the people Jesus is talking about. Lazy hearing is error. I'll say more about that later. I mean, fourthly, we can't. We cannot come to the parables and treat them scientifically. What do I mean by that? When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, you know what some people will do? Well, where Jesus said that the mustard seed was the smallest seed, it's not. Well, he, he's wrong. See, there's error in the Word of God. Well, that's, that's just not the purpose When Jesus says that it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed, what Jesus is saying is, well, it's the smallest seed among what we plant, what we're sowing in the fields. This is the smallest seed among these these Galilean farmers, not the smallest seed in the world. You see, it's not scientific. It's practical. It's a word picture. It's something that's relative and, 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 and meant for their day. When Jesus talks about the mustard seed growing into the greatest of trees in the garden, you know what he's you know what people say? Oh, see, there's another error right there. It's not you mean to tell me a mustard tree is as big as a great red cedar in California? Another error. And you believe the Bible? Brothers, li- li- brothers, sisters, listen to me. That's not the purpose of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, out of all of the garden plants. Out of all that we grow in our garden, this mustard, this mustard seed turns into a tree compared to them. That's what he's saying. So you must be careful about coming to the parables with, scien- with a scientific interpretation of the parable. It's, it's practical. It's, it's a word picture of the reality of their circumstances and situations that they completely understood if they would have thought about it. And 
the fifth thing that I want to talk about are these ways to avoid. You want to avoid coming to the parables. Now, we talked about lazy listening. But that's not the only thing we need to be careful of. We need to be careful about a lack of following through. Let me give you an example. I'm going to give you an example that's outside of a parable. But it's going to fit my point of the parable. Now, you can come and be a lazy listener. And you leave right out. No problem. You're not going to do anything about it. Let me give you the, Look at Matthew 13. Um, let's see. Look at verse 19. It says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Now, that's a, not a good rendition of the Greek. It's not that he doesn't understand it. Because, you know, some people say, oh, well, Jesus taught in parables and He closed the kingdom of heaven off to those who really wanted to be saved. No, He says that the, the text tells us the problem isn't with Jesus. The problem is not with His teaching. The problem is they're dull of heart. That's, the problem is with them when they come to Jesus and His teaching. Well, look at verse 19. He says, the real, the real meaning of the Greek there is that when anyone hears the word of the, the kingdom and does not give thought to it, he won't think about it. He hears it, it's in one ear and out the other. There's no second thought, there's no real contemplation, there's no real grasping or care or concern that I need to listen to this or build my life on this. It's just another teacher, it's just another philosophy, it's just a whole bunch of other stuff and I don't really need this. I'm here for all the other benefits that are going on. I don't need this word. And what does Jesus say? The evil one comes and snatches it away. He's not planning to follow through. Well, what about the rich young ruler? If you go over a few more chapters, remember the rich young ruler came with a lot of piety. Teacher! Teacher! What must I do to be saved? What a great question to ask. And Jesus begins to interact with the rich young ruler. The problem with the rich young ruler is he already had an answer to the question he's asking. He, look, he really wasn't interested and what Jesus had to say, he wasn't about to follow up on it. See, he got something totally different than what Jesus... He got something totally different from Jesus than what he thought he was going to get. He thought he was okay. Hey, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus gives him a little bit. And what he said, well, I've done that since my youth. Well, I'll tell you what you do then. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and follow me. See, the rich young ruler wasn't prepared... To humble himself. He wanted to hear how good he was. He wanted to hear how much Jesus led. Oh man, you want to be on my team? Great, come on. I could always use somebody spiritual and holy like you. No, that's not what he heard. Jesus said, you're lacking. So you don't understand. You don't understand the kingdom of God. You don't understand that a man that comes into this kingdom has to be stripped of every bit of his pride. All of his arrogance. Guess what? You got to take it away. You got to leave it. You can't bring that in here with you. Because it's a narrow way. It's the narrow gate. It means it presses on everybody, no matter who you are. It's as tight as it needs to be for you and you and you. And you got to get rid of stuff to come into this kingdom. You got to get rid of your sin. 
Jesus can take care of that for you and does. But see, the rich young ruler wasn't prepared to follow through with what he heard. He heard how to be saved, and the Bible says that he went away sad. You know why he went away sad? Because he didn't get what he wanted. He thought he wanted eternal life, but he didn't. Jesus told him how to get eternal life. Humble yourself. Repent of your sins. Follow me. Treat me greater than all your gold and silver. View me as the most valuable treasure and teaching in your life and you will be saved. Teach, listen, see me and esteem me the highest of the highest. You'll be saved. Love me above all things with all your soul, mind, heart, and strength. Love me and you will be saved. The Bible says he went away sad. He wasn't willing to do all that. He loved himself more than he loved Jesus. And guess what? There's not going to be anybody in heaven. Listen to me. Nobody in heaven that loves themselves more than Jesus. You have to deny yourself and follow Jesus. You have to pick up your cross and come after Jesus. So brothers and sisters, we have five things that we must avoid as we come to the scriptures, but what can we ex- I mean parables, but what can we expect when we come to the parables? Well, first of all, we can expect to learn about the kingdom of God, and that should excite you this morning. If it doesn't excite you, find out what category you may fall into. Remember, when Jesus goes and He does the parable of the sower, Jesus says that that the, the one who went and sowed the seed, the seed fell among all different classes of ground. Now, the disciples couldn't understand exactly what Jesus was saying. And so what did He do? He says, no, no, you don't understand. I am the sower. Jesus is telling His disciples, and you can read it right there in the text. He says, listen, I'm the sower. And what do I do? I go around preaching the kingdom of God. I go around sowing the Word of God. I go around teaching the spiritual truths of heaven and earth. I go around teaching these things by which men can be saved and have a right relationship with God. But that message falls on all different classes of people. Some don't care. Some don't care. Notice what he says there in verse 20. He says, The one on whom the seed was sown on rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, and and it's only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, he immediately falls away. Notice that class of, oh, that person, man, you know, you see these people? And this is why Spurgeon said this. He said, look, somebody came up to Spurgeon one time, a young man, says, Dr. Spurgeon, Dr. Spurgeon. He says, I've been saved. I've come to know Jesus Christ. And Spurgeon said, well, judgment will be out toward the end of your life. You think you're saved? Persevere. Persevere. 
You see, brothers and sisters, we, we can, listen, and this is, a, this is epidemic in our day and time. People say, oh, I went to a revival, I got saved, or I got saved, when I, was a, I got saved when I was a young person in church, or I got saved at this point in time. But you know what? None of, your li- none of their lives reflect the truth. Following after God. None of it. And they're like this person, this class of here. They heard the message at one time and they received it with joy because they were going through all of these problems and having all these difficulties. But they didn't build their life on the rock. Because as soon as the text says, as soon as people said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you did what? You believe what? You're doing what? You believe the Bible? Wait a minute. You think Jesus is both God and man? Wait a minute. Did you tell me that you believe the Bible's inspired and infallible in a book that we can build our ethics and life on? Is that, are you telling me? Oh, oh, no, no. Well, that's not what I meant. What I meant to say was, I, 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 you know, it's got some good stuff in it. What I meant to say was, I, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you know, it's just saying the same thing you're saying. No, fall away. Fall away. Jesus clearly taught us, listen, if you are embarrassed and ashamed of me and deny me before me, and I will deny you before my Father. We learn about the kingdom of God, its nature, its relationship to this world, and that's so important. Guess what? This world hates the kingdom of God. It hates it. And the world, listen, the church could serve its members better By stop trying to be at peace with the world. Stop trying to be friends with the world. You're never going to be friends with the world. Never. You're never going to go up to the world. You're never going to stand on some public platform and say, here's what we believe the Scripture teaches about marriage, homosexuality, raising children, about honesty, integrity, about any of those things. And the world goes, that makes perfect sense. Why don't we just do that? They're going to go, venom, get out of here, you narrow-minded bigot. Get, we don't want you here. We don't, listen, we don't want to hear what you have to say. Just get out of here. The world has no place for the teachings of Jesus Christ. They don't have any place for Jesus. Um, one, one theologian who graduated, I believe it was UC Berkeley. You know, that's a very liberal school out in California. And he received his doctorate degree from that institution in philosophy. And he said, you know, he said, what you don't understand is none of the faculty had any problem with Jesus. He said, we talk about Jesus all the time. We'd have our Christmas parties and we would go and we would talk and discuss about Jesus. He said, now here's the problem. Problem wasn't Jesus. The problem is when you said Jesus was the Son of God, Son of Man. That Jesus was authoritative. That Jesus was sovereign. He said, now that's your problem. Because guess what? As long as Jesus can be just another teacher that we can reject, affirm or reject, as long as Jesus can just be something like Muhammad or, or, or uh, any of the other false teachers out there, you know what? We Okay, we can handle that. But no, no. When you say He's ultimate, primary, sovereign, Son of Man, Son of God... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given over to Him. When you say that, no, we don't have any place for that, Jesus. And you need to understand that. The parables teach us this. Secondly, you can expect to come to the parables and be challenged. 
And what do I mean by that? Well, the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, we don't understand the parable of the sower. Help us. And Jesus had to take them a little further in their thinking. Now, brothers and sisters, this correlates perfectly with lazy thinking or lazy listening. Why is it that we think as finite humans, so limited in our understanding of even basic things of life, I've been married, my wife and I have been married for almost 30 years, and I'm still learning all kinds of things. Finite in so many ways. Why do we think we can go to God and not think and have to think? Who is infinite in all of His attributes, all of His character, and all of His glory, and all of His beauty, and all of His power, all of His pomp, and all of His majesty. Why do we think we could come into the presence of God, give a little bit of a mental assent to it, and then walk away in some way benefit from it? You can't. It requires something of us when we come to the teaching of Christ. Now, the whole Bible, sure. But when Jesus teaches in parables, He's teaching a spiritual truth and reality that is like this. It's got some darkness to it. It's got shadows to it. That's what theologians would describe. It's got some shadows to it. You know what you've got to do? You've got to look in the shadows. But if you're not willing to look into the shadows... You're not going to benefit from it. I'm going to be challenged. We have to come thinking. We have to come ready to, ready to follow through. What, what do we do with when we learn it? When we think through it? When we pray through it? When we study through it? What happens when we finally grasp this aspect of the nature of the kingdom of God? What are you going to do with it? See, brothers and sisters, there's a moral issue when you come to the Word of God. If you're not willing to follow through with what Jesus teaches you, mm, He's not going to teach you. He'll cast you out. Well, he's not going to waste His time. And that's what He's doing here. Let me set the stage for you a little bit. As we get into more of what's going on here. There are... Three categories of these parables. Three sets of parables that our Lord teaches us in sets. Each set of parables come from two things. Number one, the crowds, not really what they say they are. But number two, and this is even, this is even more so, is the Pharisees are attacking Jesus. And so he uses the parables to explain to them the nature and the glory and the reality and the future of the kingdom of heaven in order to counter what the Pharisees of accusing Jesus of. Turn back to Matthew 12. I want to just show you this. Because Matthew 13, this is, this is in relationship to the accusation of the Pharisees. Now, what was the problem the Pharisees had with Jesus? They were jealous. They were jealous. 
The Pharisees wanted all the attention. Here Jesus was going around in Galilee. He's preaching the gospel. He's healing. The, he's healing. He's, he's giving the blind sight. He's causing the lame to walk. He's raising the dead. He's doing all of these wonderful miracles. And the, and the Pharisees, and he's attracting all of these crowds. And the Pharisees cannot stand it. They're like, oh, we hate this guy. This guy's way too popular. So how do they go, how are they going to deal with Jesus? Well, look at 12, verse 22. It says that Jesus, when a, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and they were saying, this man can, cannot be the son of David, can he? And when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So what are they accusing Jesus of? Being demonic. Being ruled by a demonic spirit. They're saying, look, you know why Jesus can do this with the demons? He's in league with the demons. This is how the Pharisees... See, so what's the question about the kingdom? Who's Jesus? Is He demon-possessed or is He really the Son of David, Son of God? Is He a demon or is He heavenly? This accusation was so powerful. Turn, look at the end of Matthew 12. This accusation was so powerful. Look at verse 46. While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak with him. And someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother? Then who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and mother. Here's the point, and here's what theologians think. You know what they were coming to do? His mama and his brothers, they were coming to settle Jesus down. Jesus, you know what they're saying about you? You're a demon. You have a demon. We're calling you down. People are talking about you. They, they're saying that you are demon-possessed. They're saying you're casting out demons by the sake. What does Jesus say? No. My, my family is the ones that does the will of God. Jesus don't have time for that. He don't have time to hear those lies. He don't have time to spread those rumors. His family was coming to settle Jesus down. And he said, oh, I ain't got time for this. I came to do the will of my Father. And those who do the will of my Father, they're my brothers and they're my sisters. And then what, he, what does he begin to do? He begins to speak to them in parables. He says, because you're not listening. But those who do listen, they will benefit. Those who do hear, oh, they'll perceive and understand. They'll know these things and they'll be intimate with this. So we see there that we can expect to be challenged. Thirdly, we can expect to grow in knowledge. Grow in knowledge. Let me, I'm going to close with this. I want to close with this. Let me find the place. If I can't find it, I'll just... um, Okay, turn to Luke 7. Uh, This is a beautiful picture, and this is what I want to leave you thinking about this morning. Here's the situation. 
Jesus is, is gone about. He is this, this tour, this first tour of Galilee. He's doing, a, he's doing some incredible, miraculous work. And the Pharisees are they're wanting to find out more about him. And so they invite him in. Notice verse 40. And, and um, uh, he's get, he gets invited to go to one of their house. Look at verse 36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to come and dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And, she, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head, kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, now remember it's his house, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, now again, questioning, who is Jesus? Is he really a prophet or is he demon-possessed? this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Now, I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to explain the rest of it for the sake of time. I want you to read it later. What's in question here is who's Jesus? Is he a prophet? Or is he a forgiving Savior? We have in this illustration a comparison. The Pharisees have invited Jesus into the house. She comes because she hears Jesus is going to be there. And all, look, there's no interaction between the woman and Jesus. He never speaks to her. He never acknowledges her. But he uses her to point out the impiety and self-righteousness of the Pharisees. Notice she weeps on his feet. She washes his feet with her tears. Now you may think, oh, these are tears of guilt. They're not. They're not tears of guilt. Look, at the, look, look further on. And he said this, Look at, well, let's just read verse 40. And Jesus answers, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Now what does Jesus do? Jesus uses an illustration to point out his error. He corrects himself. Because remember, what was the problem? The problem is if this man was a prophet, if Jesus was really who he said he was, he wouldn't let this sinner touch him. Which means, brothers and sisters, by the illustration... The woman was already a Christian. She had already been forgiven. She wasn't guilt-ridden. She was joyful. She was wiping her Savior's feet with her tears and wiping it with her hair. She wasn't there groveling for salvation. She was there praising Him for His salvation that He gave her. And what Jesus is saying is, 
Simon, which one does the most? Which one loves me more? The one who's benefited the more. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon. Notice he's talking. He never saw, never speaks to the woman. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which was an Eastern custom of, 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 of greeting. And you gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed me with my feet with perfume. You know what he says? He goes, you've not even given me the standard customary reception in the Middle East. You didn't. I'm nothing to you. You haven't even looked. It'd be like this. Brother, you hadn't, I've come into your house. You've not treated me with respect. You've ignored me. You haven't shaken my hand. You haven't hugged my neck. You haven't told me you're glad to see me. You've just invited me in to ridicule me, to judge me. That's what Jesus is saying. She has done nothing since I've gotten here but given me the utmost respect. Notice. 47, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, notice the verb tense, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And I'm going to stop here and we'll make an application here and we walk away with this. She's demonstrating her salvation, isn't she? By loving the Lord. She knows she was a great sinner. Her life was full of great sins. And Jesus said, I'll cleanse you. Come to me. I'll make you complete and whole. And she demonstrates this benefit of forgiveness by worshiping at Jesus' feet. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you a question about worship. What would keep you away from worship? What? What benefit, listen, have you benefited from the grace and sovereign mercy and compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ? To that degree, shouldn't you love Him? Hmm? Shouldn't you, shouldn't you display it? See, Jesus acknowledged, He says, this woman demonstrates her love for me by the benefits she has received from me. Now, brothers and sisters, if you don't think you're a sinner, if you don't think you're in need, you know, well, okay, I, I sin a little bit. Don't waste your time with Jesus. You know who Jesus comes to cleanse? Great sinners. See, I want you to understand this morning, brothers and sisters, whether you're saved or not, you're a great sinner. Even in salvation, how many of us can really say, that woman's better than me? That woman's better than I am. We often look for ways to get out of doing the things we need to do. Here she comes and humiliates herself in front of this, all these men. I mean, these men are laughing at her. These men are mocking this woman. She doesn't care. I'm a sinner. This man has cleansed me from my sins. And I don't care if they laugh at me. Because I'm going to wipe his feet with my tears and hair and I'm going to worship him 
brothers and sisters. I've given us things to avoid and things to look forward to as we look at the parables. Now the question will be how will we come to the study? How will we benefit from the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope we can be like this woman and realize how much we have benefited so that we will love Him more. Let's pray.